Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Brant Cooper. He is the New York Times bestselling author of The Lean Entrepreneur and CEO of Moves the Needle. With over two decades of expertise helping companies bring innovative products to market, he blends agile design thinking and lean methodologies to ignite entrepreneurial action within large organizations. Brant, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Seth. You are welcome. Let's get started. I know that you didn't, you weren't always um, the icon of business that you are today. Let's go back <laughs> in time a little bit. How did you get started? Uh, yeah, you know, I got started like everybody else got started, I think. Uh, uh, I, well, I went to college. I didn't look for a career. I, I, I sort of took a little bit of everything and entered the world uh, back in the 80s without a whole lot of prospects, but was able to, to find a job. And, and uh, you know, I was sort of the IT guy uh, back in the day. The there was not an IT degree yet. So, you know, the people that were familiar with computers managed the, the company's uh, computers. And so that's what I did for a few years. I, I became the IT guy and then formally became the IT guy and then, uh, and then got a taste of startups in the Silicon Valley era. And that sort of, it sort of changed my perspective on what work might be like. Okay. So... How did that, what inspired you to write The Lean Entrepreneur? Well, The Lean Entrepreneur came out of sort of this movement around lean, lean startup, lean innovation that, that emerged out of the dot-com bust. So I lived through the dot-com boom and bust, was in a bunch of startups up in the Silicon Valley era. And afterwards, a bunch of people were sort of thinking about, well, why do we build startups so that they look like big companies? Big companies have lots of problems. Why are we fastidiously trying to get startups to look like big companies? It doesn't make any sense, especially when you consider and you could look historically that the most successful startups were the ones that acted differently than the big companies. And so a bunch of people were sort of writing about that. And I was one of them. Um, which resulted in the first book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. And, and uh, after that movement took off, I wrote The Lean Entrepreneur, which is a deep dive into how to understand your customers deeply, how to run experiments in order to validate or invalidate your assumptions around what your business is going to do, and how to leverage evidence, data plus insights to steer you in the right direction. Um, 
So yeah, that's uh, it was really a way for for you to take sort of those startup principles, the principles of startups that do well, and apply them to any business. Okay, now you have helped more than sixty enterprise level clients build what you call an entrepreneurial spirit in their organizations. What is how does how do you bring an entrepreneurial spirit into a large company like that? <laughs> it's very very difficult. Uh, most of the large companies have innovation arms, innovation groups. And that's typically over the years where we've started. So their, their whole purpose is supposedly to create, you know, the next big thing. And so they are like internal startups. And so that was the most receptive audience. What I learned over time, however, is that there's so much uncertainty all across the enterprise that that's really what the key marker is. You want to apply these principles, the same ones I just defined in the, the Lean Entrepreneur. You want, to, you want to use those principles wherever you face uncertainty. And so like salespeople do that sort of naturally. If they have uh, sales targets that they're trying to hit, they might know, you know, looking at their, their, uh, their pipeline, I know how I'm going to get to my targets like 95% of the way. Well, there's 5% uncertainty. And so where that 5% uncertainty is, I need to act differently. I just can't execute. I have to go and figure out how I'm going to cover that gap. And so that's usually on the very, you know, very execution side of the business. And then if you look at the far away innovation group, uh, they're faced with massive amounts of uncertainty. And so there's just this balance. It's a continuum. You have to figure out how you're going to execute versus use these explorer techniques, this entre these entrepreneurial techniques. In, in your everyday life, in your everyday business, inside of these large corporations that are trying to hit their numbers while at the same time laying the, the foundation for future growth. All right, so let's dive in. What Give us something, I know you're spilling all the secret sauce, we want people to go get the book, but what are a couple of those principle, startup principles that you're applying to large companies with such success? Well, so I mean, it's not, to be honest, they're, they're not like these mind-blowing secrets. Uh, like. Secret number one, talk to your customers. I mean, it's like <laughs> the, the large enterprises love to run around and call themselves customer centric. Uh, and a matter of fact, a lot of them now are copying the, uh, the Amazon phrase, I'm customer obsessed. And what that means to them is they sit around a conference room table pretending they're customers. Like, what would you do if you were in this situation? Like anything so that they don't actually have to go and talk to customers to figure out what it is that they would actually do. So uh, it's, it's, yeah, secret number one. Okay, so secret number two is run purpose-filled experiments. Now this actually does require some discipline. So people often think like in the lean startup world that running an experiment means, oh, well, I just tried something. Or yeah, I've got, you know, uh, split testing running on my website. But anytime you're trying to sell a product or service to a customer, you're actually asking them to change their behavior. They're doing something today and you want them to do something differently. So an experiment is without building the product, how can I test whether that customer is willing to change their behavior or not? And so those could be things like email campaigns or webinars or pop-up stores or going out to the mall and, and setting up a little experiment where a customer has to do something that indicates they want the value that you're giving them. 
So there's ways that you can validate or you have to be willing to invalidate your fundamental assumptions. What must be true for your business to work? And so by running those experiments, you're actually getting rid of all of the risky elements of your business model rather than just doing what you believe to be true and potentially wasting tons of time and money and creativity and opportunity costs. That makes a lot of sense. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see companies making that could be solved by some of this? Well, it's the biggest problem inside of the big companies, and I guess it happens in smaller business too, is the, is the hippo decision-making, right? So it's the highest paid person in the office that makes the decision as opposed to what does the evidence indicate should be done. And so the, you know, listen, leaders got to where they are because they're smart and they're successful and, and, and they knew or know a lot of things. But if you're trying something new, it's likely that just what worked five years ago isn't going to work again. And so it's better to start with sort of this clean slate, you know, a blank chalkboard. Uh, that's what Albert Einstein used to talk about when he was running his thought experiments. He, he wanted to start with a clean slate. He wanted to forget all it was that he knew. So when he was looking at a new endeavor, it would be with fresh eyes. And so it's the same thing when trying to launch a new product or service. Rather than just relying on what people quote unquote know, look at it with as a blank slate. What do we think we know? What are our assumptions? And so rather than, you know, relying on the, the biases and the pet projects of leaders, the leaders should be looking at their teams to be generating evidence that proves a course of action is the right one to take. So how can, yeah, that brings up an excellent point, how can we as leaders inspire our employees to think more entrepreneurially without leaving the company to start their own company? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that, that what actually is going to make them stay is that you're leveraging their creativity. And so I think that, it, you know, if you just tell people what to do day in, day out, they're going to want to leave and go start their own company. If you actually empower them to be able to go solve problems, that's what human beings want to do. If you give a team a wicked problem and the authority and the resources and a means of holding them accountable... If you give that to smart people, they, I'm confident they will solve the problem. I think the other part of it is, is have them work in teams. And this is why agile is so hip right now. It's the team dynamic that is uh, more powerful than, than even just trying to empower each individual. The team members tend to hold each other accountable. They'll hold each other accountable to the work that needs to be done hold them accountable to co corporate values to make sure that the behavior is ethical. Um, and, and even if one team member is having an off day, the team itself can still move forward. And so agile teams are the new unit of work. And so leaders should start thinking about how do they, how do they assemble teams out of their employees? I like that a lot. What, you've been called throughout the years, the millionaire maker. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think that if you work with large companies, this is what's kind of funny. If you work with startups and they're successful, you know, it's still going to take them a long time to uh, get to be millionaires. If you actually help a large company figure something out, they might make millions the next day. And so it averages out, right? <laughs> right it averages out. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about Moves of the Needle. 
Yeah, so moves the needle. I founded that after after uh, the lean entrepreneur was successful, and and basically, you know, we started out with just running workshops to teach people how to do this entrepreneurial behavior. And uh, each year, I think what we did is we encountered our own obstacles, right? So just like any other business, and so it like I hopefully we eat our own dog food, right? I mean, so. I never really totally understood that phrase. Eating your own dog food is, you know, if you're you're feeding food to your dog, you ought to be willing to eat it yourself. And I, I'm not sure that that's actually true. But anyway, we eat our own dog food, right? So we actually, in our own company, have to learn how to balance the execution work on things that we already know with the learning. What do we not know? And so every year the company ran into different obstacles. And so we could add services to help overcome those obstacles. And the biggest obstacle was getting leaders on board. So employees absolutely love working the way I've described. And for the reason I described, they want to be inspired. They want to be creative. They want to feel like they're contributing something, you know, out of their own, uh, out of their own mind, out of their own passion. Leaders are often stuck in, no, people need to just do what I say. And I think the reason why they're stuck is not because they don't want to empower their people. It's because they don't know how. And so a lot of the services that we offer now is helping leaders practice and apply really some of the soft skills into empowering their employees. And how can they apply that in their jobs day one, not theory, right? But practice it and then go back to your job and do it. And it really starts unleashing, again, this creativity and this inspired workers that can solve any problem that a business has. It's hard. Again, leaders became, you know, got where they are because of their execution mind and, and, and controlling things. But the world we live in is so different now. It's, it's faced with so much uncertainty that we really need to empower other people to help us solve these problems. You talk about there being a lot of disruption in the marketplace right now. It's so common now. It's a buzzword. Why is there so much disruption going on and how do we deal with that? Yeah, I think that the disruption really comes from living in this digital world. You know, we all run around with computers in our pockets. And so we have so much information that has given consumers a lot of power in the sense that they can change from one vendor to another. And this is true in business to business as well as business to consumer type businesses. Um, but, you know, growing up, it was like back in the day, uh, you know, sort of old school madman style advertising days, you know, you built brand loyalty with a megaphone on top of a mountain saying, you know, hey, Tide is the best cleaner. Your mom used Tide, you're gonna use Tide. And it was just sort of this mantra. And so people grew up with this affinity for brands that just doesn't exist today. Tomorrow, you know, I'm gonna go with a company that actually makes a green, you know, laundry detergent, you know, and, and I don't know, people just could switch. And so that switching means that that creates a lot of uncertainty in the in the markets. And I talk to leaders in companies and they say, listen, we used to just be able to come up with ideas, push them out and scale. But now that decision-making is really on the edge of the economy, i.e. it's with consumers and buyers. And so now we have to learn what it is that they want and what they need and build that so it's suited for them. And so this whole dynamic of that power shifting out to the edge means that there's so much uncertainty and we're easily disrupted. We're disrupted by globalization. We're disrupted by startups. We're disrupted by pandemics. Suddenly, right? Talking to leaders last March, 
And they're all like, yeah, we're not doing any innovation. We have to buckle down. And I'm all like, well, what are you buckling down to? We got to buckle down. We got to go execute on what we know. And I'm asking, well, what do you know anymore? Your small business customers are going out of business. Your consumers have lost their job. They don't have a budget. What do you know anymore? So these, these companies actually had to go back into learning mode. They have to figure out, well, what is it that we can provide our existing customers to keep them safe, to keep them functioning? Do we need to change something in our own business in, to, in order to provide services? And of course, you see a lot of restaurants that had to pivot um, and, and lots of big uh, examples from big companies that, um, that changed their business operations in the face of the pandemic in order for them to be able to keep their employees and, and their own revenues going. So we have to figure out that, you know, in this world of uncertainty, what do we need to learn? You've been ahead of the curve for many, many, many years. What do you think the future of business looks like? Future business is agile, scaled agile, but not based upon really the frameworks that are out there now, but it's really this team is the new unit. And the very structure, I think, of these businesses needs to change. So the, the, the normal structure where you have all of these different departments, marketing, engineering, operations, facilities, sales, was developed that way based upon Taylor's assembly line of the industrial age. It was like an, ex an extension of Henry Ford's Model T assembly line. And so the company's focused on this command and control leadership style because what we're trying to do is optimize the efficiencies of each of those cells uh, along that extended assembly line. And the natural way for those cells to grow as a company scales is to, uh, you know, build this hierarchy of managers that manage managers who are managing tactical execution up and down the, the line. And then they form these rules of engagement that dictate how these different departments are allowed to communicate with each other. And so you've got these silos and basically that that produces the behavior that we see where companies are not really close to their customers. They're not taking in this outside information. They're unable to change their plans based upon outside information and they move too slow. Well, it's the very structure that creates that behavior. So the future of business is going to be, well, what's the structure of a company that makes our people customer centric, agile and able to move fast? And so you can see this model of this organizational design uh, in the big tech companies like Amazon and Facebook and Google and Spotify. And you can also see it starting to emerge in large companies where you have uh, this team structure and then a layer of what I call stream of streams, which manages the communications of all of these uh, different agile teams. And basically the, the organization gets a lot flatter and middle management ends up being a conduit of information and priorities versus telling people what to do. That is awesome. I love that. I got no. I got pages of notes for our folks who are listening and want to learn more about your processes and what you do. What is the best? Where is the best place for us to send them? Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, at Brant Cooper on all social media. Brant at BrantCooper.com is my email address. And uh, uh, movesthenedle.com is my website, but also check out brantcooper.com where I am discussing my new book, which will be uh, talking about a lot of these things we covered around organizational design. Awesome. Well, this has been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Brant Cooper. Brant, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Seth. Fun conversation.
All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.